Hi, I'm Adam Sanford. I'm an academic life coach and professor in Los Angeles. And I'm Dinur Bloom. I'm a college professor in Los Angeles. And this is Learning Made Easier, a podcast where we discuss how we learn and how we teach and how they overlap. Welcome back to Learning Made Easier. This is episode 117, Why There's No Such Thing as Lazy. Now, before we get started on today's topic, we wanted to apologize for the unplanned missed week. Even podcasters sometimes face issues that come right out of left field, but we're back and we appreciate you coming back as well. The word lazy, it's a pretty nasty word. Teachers throw it at students when work comes in late or incomplete. Parents throw it at children when chores don't get done. And let's be honest, students throw it at themselves whenever they feel like they're not living up to some preset standard like a homework deadline or a chore requirement. Sometimes we see the word lazy kind of misused as a motivator. You know, don't be lazy or you don't want to look lazy, do you? And in general, it's just it's a negative word and it's a really useless idea. Even so, it's a popular one. Students routinely tell me in reflection papers that they haven't done their homework because they're just lazy. And then in the same reflection, they tell me about their full-time job and their extracurricular activities, which combined with school equal approximately 20 hours of dedicated time per day. Just a quick note, folks, this is not a good thing. So of course they feel like they're lazy. They're overbooked. They don't have the time to finish what they've committed to. But instead of focusing on the first part, the real reason for the problem is that they're overbooked. They usually frame it as the second part. Therefore, I'm lazy. I'm somehow a failure. Let's also add that in our culture, at least in the United States, we frown heavily on taking time for ourselves. Whether it's self-care, play, rest, or relaxation, we tend to look at anything that isn't producing a lot of product or work or results as laziness. So another meaning we put on lazy is, did not get the work done. So first, we should break down what the word lazy actually means, and then we'll be able to see why it doesn't actually exist the way most teachers, parents, and students think it does. One thing about that, find out what the word actually means. The two women that I've drawn on repeatedly for good tips and good tricks and good ways to manage things like, gosh, I've got a lot on my plate, were the sidetracked sisters who broke out of their dreadful disorganization and messiness in the 70s. And then they developed a system and a program that helped thousands of people get organized. And one of the things that they learned early on and that they came up with this trick was, I keep beating myself up with these words like lazy, messy, disorganized. Maybe I should find out what those words actually mean. Look in the dictionary and find out. And so that's what we're talking about doing today is look this word up in the dictionary let's look up lazy in the dictionary find out what it means and then figure out does that actually look like what we think we what we think it means when we use it to hurt ourselves or beat ourselves up when people say they're lazy in general they think it means they're not motivated or they're not meeting their goals because of personal choices they're making to do other things instead in general they use the word lazy to mean someone who isn't doing their job someone who's making other people do the work for them, or someone who isn't living up to their expectations or responsibilities, usually because they choose to do things that aren't work, chores, or schoolwork. It's also used as a way to blame and shame. 
David didn't do his part of the project because he's lazy. Or Melanie was late to class because she's lazy. But, and here we get back to the dictionary, that's not what the word lazy actually means. So according to Merriam-Webster, which I think most of us can agree is kind of an authority on this, the definition of lazy is disinclined to activity or exertion, not energetic or vigorous, or in some cases it means encouraging inactivity or indolence in the sense of a lazy summer day. All it means is that you're not moving very fast and you really don't feel like moving very fast. Now, let's be honest. Is a student who is taking five classes and working a part-time job going to be someone who's disinclined to activity? Well, sure, maybe, but not for the reasons that we usually see in laziness. I mean, after a full day of work and school, I'd be disinclined to activity. <laughs> that sounds kind of normal to me. So Devin Price has written a book about this problem, and they titled it Laziness Does Not Exist. And in it, they talk about the different things that we label laziness in our culture, and procrastination's a big one, and how we refuse to look at context. Instead of realizing a person is overwhelmed, in our culture at least in the West, we tend to blame them for not overcoming the overwhelm and working harder. In fact, there is a really topical moment right now. We're uh, recording this during the Summer Olympics, and Simone Biles just withdrew from the U.S. gymnastics team because apparently she experienced something that a lot of people who do work like flipping in the air like divers and gymnasts and so forth, and I believe they call it the twitchies, which is where my muscle memory failed me. And she had a vault where she should have been doing a double and a half spin, a two and a half turn spin, and she did a one and a half, and you could see on her face, I don't know where I am in the air. So she withdrew from the team because she didn't want to affect the team's scores, and she said, this is something I just, I need to do. A lot of people have said, oh, she's lazy. She's not doing everything she needs to do for the team. No, she's actually doing self-care and saying, this is putting me in danger. I'm not doing that. But notice the blaming her for the overwhelm and not just working harder. Very typical thing in Western culture, right? And a lot of the time we use the word lazy to say you're not trying hard enough. I was also going to say she, one, withdrew even from the individual part of the competition. But by withdrawing, she's actually helping her teammates by saying, I want to give you the best chance you have to succeed. And right now, if I compete, that's taking away from you all. And it's not being framed that way publicly. No. And notice that the large conversation that we're hearing right now about Simone Biles is she's not a team player. She's not trying hard enough. She's not pushing through it. People have brought up Carrie Strug, who was in the 92 and 96, 92 and 96 Olympics, where she had to retire from gymnastics after her her second vault because she ran on an injured leg because it was more important for her to run and win the gold. And then it turned out that wasn't even necessary for her team to win the gold. And people are saying, well, she should have done that. Well, I think Carrie Strug might have a different opinion. And this may seem like we've drifted a little ways from the, from the idea of laziness, but we really haven't because the idea of laziness for a lot of people is you just aren't trying or you're not trying hard enough or you're not pushing through the obstacle no matter how much it harms you. And man, that's toxic. That's a really toxic thing. This is one of the things about our culture, this overachiever culture that we really need to address. So in Devin Price's book, they also go into detail about how ridiculous this expectation of pushing through and working harder and trying harder really is and how lacking in compassion it is. 
So we will link to their book and their Medium article about it in the show notes. In our experiences, the students who call themselves lazy usually fall into one of two categories, overbooked or underprepared. It can also be both. These are not mutually exclusive categories. Oh, heck no. If a student is overbooked, they simply have too much to do and not enough time to do it. I was recently on a podcast, Hello Weekend, where one of the hosts admitted that when she was in college, she filled every possible minute of available time with classes, sports, and extracurricular activity, and she wondered why she was so tired. Said she went to the doctor to find out if she had mono. Turns out she didn't, but she was badly overbooked, and that was exhausting her. And one of the things I remember her saying, because I watched that, it was actually a vidcast, I watched that, and she was saying, you know, I was an overachiever, and so to me, every single minute had to be filled with something I was doing if I was awake. Well, there are 24 hours in the day. Ideally, eight of them need to be for sleep, and eight more need to be for me time. And you can spend me time with others, extroverts. We're not saying that it has to be, I'm alone in my little monkish cell. But it shouldn't be focused on, I have to create or do or finish one more thing. Me time, that should be focused on your own interests and needs. Not on being more productive and getting more work done and doing more things. Back when labor unions were first coming into their own, um, they had a block cut poster. I've seen it go around Facebook as a meme. And it said, eight hours for work eight hours for rest, eight hours for what you will. And that was back when we were trying to encourage the eight-hour workday, back when the workday was like 12 hours long. And that what you will part, that's when Denur goes and does his sports photography. Or when I pick up my guitar and start strumming. That's time that you need for your brain and your body to recharge so they can do more productive work later on. Our bodies are not machines. We are not robots. We cannot just go, 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 go without rest and recuperation and, frankly, recreation. We need those things. A student can also think they're lazy when they're actually underprepared. This includes not having foundational concepts or skills you need in order to do the work you have in front of you. What looks like laziness is actually stress here. If you're beating your head against an assignment that does not make sense because you didn't understand the concepts it's based on, you'll probably eventually end up playing Minecraft or World of Warcraft or whatever other game of choice you have to escape the stress. But that doesn't mean you're lazy. It just means you don't have the tools you need to do the job you need to do. A lot of students will look at their coping mechanisms for the stressors of being overbooked or underprepared and think that means they're lazy. For example, playing video games or watching YouTube, vegging out in front of the TV. But those aren't laziness most of the time. They're responses to stress. Now, at this podcast, Denora and I are pretty big on identifying the actual obstacles that get in your way so that you can move them out of the way and move forward. We try to give you tools to say, hey, if you're having trouble with time management, here's some tools to move that obstacle out of the way. And many students think being lazy is the obstacle, but it almost never is. In this case, the idea of lazy is just, it's the wrong problem. You're not lazy. You're probably overbooked or underprepared or both, but here's how to deal with those actual obstacles to your progress and your success. So let's start with being overbooked. If you're overbooked, look hard at what you've committed to. Is there anything that you've committed to that someone else could do? 
obviously classes are not in that category. You have to be the one taking your classes. But volunteer work, that might be. Chores at home, that might be too. I recently had to think hard about a volunteer opportunity that presented itself, and I decided with regret that, no, I've got to turn this down. I've got too many other things on my plate already. I don't I really don't want to put myself in a position where now I have to put off something else I've already committed to to do this volunteer work. So that also brings up the FOMO issue, which we just went over in episode 116. So you might want to listen to that too, the idea that there's this fear of missing out and you feel like you've got to take every opportunity available to you. That's a great way to get overbooked. So look at what you've got on your plate. Think about what cannot be done without you. That needs to stay on the plate. And then think about what could be delegated to someone else. Reduce your workload so you can actually get your work done. If you're underprepared, look hard at what you're trying to do and identify what you need in order to get it done. If you find yourself saying, I don't understand, there's probably a concept that hasn't clicked for you. Go to your professor or your TA or your study group or a tutor and say, I'm supposed to do this problem or I'm supposed to write this paper but I need to understand this concept to do it. I need help with that concept. If you find yourself saying, I don't know how to do this, or sometimes I can't do this, you're probably missing a skill you need. If you have 12 assignments due over the next four weeks and you don't know how to handle it, you probably need help with time management. Get together with someone who's good at time management and have them walk you through their system, or go listen to our episodes 12 through 16 our time management series for some help. And note that we're just giving examples, all right? There can be other things that you may be struggling with or that you don't know how to do or a skill set that you need that you don't know how to handle. Like it might not be time management. It might be how to study effectively. It might be how to break down this huge project that's supposed to be happening every week for the next 14 weeks, whatever it is. There are ways to develop those skills. There are ways to get help finding those skills and developing those skills. So identify what you're struggling with and say, okay, I really, you know, I keep getting terrible grades on tests in these two classes and I'm rereading the book all the time. Maybe that's not the right way to study, but I need some help because I don't know how to study. Okay. Again, we have episodes on that, or there are people on your campus who can probably help you say, okay, Dave, sit down and think about the fact that you've got two weeks between now and the exam. Doesn't it make more sense to study a little bit every day rather than try to cram it all in the day before the test? So, our experiences with this, I always, always thought I was lazy because I could never get all my work done back in high school. Of course, I was taking four honors classes. I was active in band and in drama, and I also had a part-time job starting in my sophomore year. And I just didn't realize how much I had piled on my plate. Like the host of the podcast that Nora was just on, I thought any open time meant I was wasting time. So I filled my time up to the bursting point. I filled it up to the seams. I also beat myself up any time I didn't finish absolutely everything I had on my list for a day, and that happened more often than I want to admit. My standard was I have to do all of it perfectly. If I don't, I'm an absolute failure. And I carried that way of kicking myself well into my 20s before I finally realized when I fell asleep and slept for almost two days after trying to just skip sleep for a night so that I could catch up on stuff that I could not do it all. I am not Superman. I did not have the ability to stay up for 36 or 48 hours at a time without crashing hard very soon after that. Now, it took me longer to realize that not doing it all didn't mean I was a total failure or even a partial failure. I was just human. 
But I did eventually get there. I think it was sometime around grad school. And then my life became a lot less stressful. I think there's an assumption that if you're not constantly busy 24-7, you must be lazy. I just came across a meme where the narrator of the meme goes, I must work, but I also must relax. I know. I'll neither work nor relax, but I'll feel really, really bad about it. We internalize this idea that if we're not working, we're lazy, and thus we are bad and unworthy people. But rest and not working are actually good things, because we need time to reset and recharge our batteries. Sometimes what appears as laziness is our bodies and our minds saying, hey, I need to pause here because if I don't, I'm just going to be exhausted. Keep in mind, the pressure to do all the things can also be an expression of anxiety because doing all the things is a way of filling up time and energy, but that doesn't necessarily make the busyness a good thing. You know, a lot of students talk about busy work, and yet I see them creating all kinds of busy work for themselves just to keep those anxious thoughts at bay. Uh, I know that when I started my conversion to Judaism, the concept of taking Shabbat off that didn't just feel foreign. That almost felt, you know, sinful. I mean, rest? <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm not allowed to rest. I have to be busy all the time or I'm worthless, or at least I have to look busy all the time. You know, there's there's a joke about a couple of priests in the Vatican run into the Pope and they say, Holy Father, Jesus has come back. He's walking right down the street out there. What do we do? What do we do? And the Pope looks up and says, look busy. Because looking busy for some reason seems to be you, you are a better person if you're busy. You're a more important person if you're busy. You're a more worthy person if you're busy. But making that taking time off, taking Saturdays off, part of my religious practice, which I was very dedicated to, and I still am, of really trying to take a block of time where I don't do anything that is work-like. That was one of the things that helped me realize just how much I was doing and how overbooked I was. And as Denor said, it was also an expression of anxiety of not having to do anything meant I didn't have anything to do. And that meant I really had to start doing some work on what my brain was doing when I didn't have work as a distraction. I'm a lot less overbooked these days and a lot less anxious, and I'm a lot more able to say no to things which would overbook me. And Denor and I talked about this before we recorded this episode, and we're going to put together an episode on ways to say no. Because a lot of people don't realize that saying no is a full answer, that just the word no is a complete sentence, and that it is totally okay to say no. Going back to the Sidetrack sisters, they realized that saying yes to everything so everybody would like them just made everybody mad at them when they couldn't meet all those expectations, right? But they also realized that if you say no to some of the things you're offered, then you give other people the chance to say yes to it and do some of the work and get the credit for it, and that's a good thing. And one of the things that comes to mind, too, is a book by Barbara Ehrenreich, Nickel and Dimed, where she points out that in retail work, in housekeeping work, in food service work, one of the expectations is that you look busy even when business is slow. So if there aren't any customers or any clients coming in, you're making sure to clean up the storefront or you're making sure that dishes are cleaned and that all the tables are set because you have to look busy. And this actually ties in a little bit to an early 20th century sociologist named Max Weber, who wrote about how Christian, specifically Calvinist values, tied in to the rise of capitalism 
And one of the things he said was the Calvinists valued hard work very, very much. They thought that that was their ticket to salvation. That if you worked hard and you turned a profit, that was a sign of God's favor. And they internalized that to mean you've got to work hard and not really spend much on your own comforts if you want to be considered a good person. And that line of thought still persists in the United States today. And that Calvinist thing, <laughs> the Calvinists didn't think being happy was a good thing. They thought God would get upset with you if you were ever happy, which kind of didn't make sense to me when I first read about it. Still don't, you know, it still doesn't make sense. But the thing about the Protestant ethic, too, was that your success was never about you. It was about all the people you could help with your success. And that's a pretty big burden to put on people, right? Because if you were wealthy, then your job was to take care of widows and orphans in addition to your own family. You know, that money was not supposed to go into buying a yacht you know, or another Bentley or another mansion somewhere. It was supposed to go into helping your community, which is something that we've kind of lost. But the idea of being lazy as you're not productive has persisted. So let's look at that word lazy and say, you know what? This word doesn't actually apply to what's happening with me. What's happening with me is I've already put in nine hours today and I need some time to rest. So kick it, Protestant ethic. I'm not interested. Now, the way students can use the advice in this episode, first, please don't kick yourself for being lazy. Chances are very good that you're not lazy at all. What's more likely is you're overbooked, underprepared, or both. Look at your life and find the areas where you're overbooked and reduce your booking. Also, identify where you might not understand something or have the skill to do something yet and work on getting understanding and skill so you can. The goal is to free up several hours a day where you can rest, take care of yourself, and do things that are fun, not work. It's an important part of being a well-rounded person. And another part of being a well-rounded person is learn to say no. The world will not end if you don't take every volunteer opportunity, every internship, every class, every job. Go listen to our episode 116 on FOMO for more on that. Saying no is an important, important skill and part of what you need in your toolbox, both in school and afterwards. When you're in the workforce, you're going to need to have that ability to say no. It's the idea of setting boundaries for other people. Mm -hmm. And boundaries are more important than we realize. And actually kicking yourself and saying, I'm so lazy, when all you're doing is taking care of yourself, that's a boundary violation. You need to set a boundary on this is my time. It doesn't belong to my teacher. It doesn't belong to my boss. It doesn't belong to my parents. This time belongs to me, and I'm going to go and play my guitar. The way teachers can use this episode, be aware and be compassionate. Eliminate the word lazy from your vocabulary. Do not use it to talk about your students or yourself. Instead, focus on obstacles that may make students look lazy, even though they're not, and on how to help students remove these obstacles. Whether it's a skill they need or knowledge they lack, be aware that not all students can pick up everything they need from one lecture or one reading. Sometimes students need multiple channels and multiple opportunities to pick up the information they need to do the work you expect them to do. Give them those channels. Give them those opportunities. Record your lectures so they can be listened to later. Create different learning activities that help students connect with material and practice skills. And above all, be patient, be compassionate, 
Give students extensions or second chances if they need them. Remember, students are people first, not just students. So that's what we have for you in episode 117. If you're finding this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends. We're always hoping to get new subscribers so we can help more people. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Android. We're hosted on Blueberry.com. And we'd really appreciate it if you could write a review of this podcast for us on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to join us next week for episode 118, when we'll talk about how to thank your professors for a great semester or year. You've been listening to Learning Made Easier, a podcast about how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. We want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you want to support us, please go to www.patreon.com slash learning made easier. We look forward to seeing you next week.